Well, good morning. Good to see you. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you'd like to turn there in your Bibles with me today, please. 1 Corinthians 1. If you're not excited, I don't know. You might check your pulse. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was good stuff. Well, we are continuing our series this morning uh, on unavoidable, believing the gospel. And today we're looking at the church. So we're looking at the church. I want to throw the points up there for you for today. Here are the three, just three little points. Imagine that. I, it took a lot to cut everything down to three points, but I did it. Um, we're going to over, go over these here in a few minutes. Uh, things, things to know and believe about the church. And, uh, and the, first, the first part of this is going to be uh, the church or the saved, right? And, and we're going to spend a considerable amount of time on that, on just that first point and, and what that takes. Because we've, we've kind of, we've got a progression, right? So let's, let's recap. We went backwards here. We started at creation. That, that in the beginning, God created us in his image, to be in relationship with him, that he could be in relationship with us, and it was for his glory. And then we, we took a look at the fall, like God made it good, it was perfect, the garden was, was what it should be, uh, the relationship between man and God was established and it was what it should be, and then there was one rule, don't eat of that tree, and that rule was broken by Adam and Eve, and sin entered the world, and we, we saw that when sin entered the world, that death entered the world as well, and that everyone from Adam and Eve on had the curse of sin and death on their life. And there was no way to get around that except through death, right? The payment, the wages of sin is death. Um, but what we saw was that God kind of showed up. He said, listen, in, in Genesis 3, there's going to be a Messiah. There's, someone's going to crush and, and redeem. Someone's going to be there to, to crush Satan once and for all and to redeem the sins of the world. So the hint of the promise started. And then we, then we see that mankind begins to, to wander and, and search and, and longs to to fill some kind of void in their life or to, to pursue something that they maybe can't see or they can see. And, and they do it with idols, right? We, we put things in our lives, we set things up in our lives that are, that are little g-gods that we tend to think fulfill or will fulfill us, but they never actually do fulfill us. And then we had a sermon on the promise, on the actual promise we find in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53 and, and all throughout Scripture that there would be a Messiah and that Messiah would be crucified he would be killed in my place and in your place for my sin. That he would be the payment, the atonement. He would be the gift of God, which is eternal life. Because we know the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then we looked at the Savior. So we looked at the promise of the Savior, and then we looked at the Savior coming on scene, born of a virgin. Right? We, we celebrated Christmas a few weeks ago because Jesus came on the scene. And we saw that he was fully human and fully God, but he humbled himself, and he humbled himself because he was on a mission to go to the cross. And before he went to the cross, we went, got to the next sermon, he had a message to speak to us, a message to preach to us, a message that started in Genesis and continues today, and that message was that you and I cannot be righteous on our own. You and I cannot be pure on our own. You and I cannot be holy on our own. You and I cannot be totally clean on our own. We have to have a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. A righteousness that is only from him because his is the only one that can totally fill us. Right? That we are totally empty without him. And his message is that he is the only one that can totally fill us up. And then last week, Hoyt preached on the cross. That the crucifixion was necessary. And it was prophesied that it would happen. And that, that, that without the shedding of blood, there cannot be any forgiveness of sin. 
And that when Christ died on the cross, he didn't die for something he had done wrong, although they put him up there because he had said he was God. They thought he was wrong. Turns out he was God, crucified, willingly. And see, we think he, someone killed Jesus, and no one really killed Jesus. He offered himself willingly as a sacrifice in my place and in your place. And that as he shed that blood, that, that made a way to, for you and I to be atoned for, our sins to be atoned for. The penalty, the wages of our sin was put upon him. Right? He was bruised and crushed for my sins. And today where we're going is, is the church. Today we're going to take a look at what happens when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved. And, and, and then, first of all, what's that process look like? And then we're going to look at what the actual church is, you and I. You and I who come here every Sunday morning, not out of obligation, I hope, right? Not, not because we're, we're expected to be here, and if you're gone for four Sundays in a row, we kick you out. It's because you and I are united under the banner of Jesus Christ. We're all volunteers united under Jesus because, because of Jesus. And we walk through those doors on Sunday morning because of Jesus, and we want to worship Jesus, and we want to celebrate Jesus. This is a place that's passionate about Jesus. And that's, that's the greatest joy in the world. So today we're going to look at the church. So before we get started, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and uh, let's get prayed up, and then we'll go, all right? Father, you are a good and great, gracious God. We thank you for your love and your kindness. We thank you that you've, you've been revealing your word, your truth, your gospel to us over these last several weeks. God, today as we look at salvation and we look at the church, I pray you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your word. God, if we've made it something that it's not, I pray that you would humble us and humble our hearts to, to believe what it really is, to embrace what it really is, and be okay with the simplicity of what Jesus has given us. We thank you that you've done all the work. Help us to stop trying to earn you. Help us just to lay down and surrender. And let you fill us up. We pray in your gracious name. Amen. All right, so we're looking at the church today. I'm going to show a couple of quick verses on the screen uh, that I think is a good progression. We talked about the cross last week, and, and the cross was where who died? Jesus. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And that's, that's a cliche we hear a lot, but that's actually the truth, right? Christ died for our sins on the cross. He was our redeemer, our atonement. It was all about Jesus. So it's important for us to understand, well, what about this Jesus really matters? Okay, and there's a lot, first of all, the cross. But here's, here's what John says, or Jesus says in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. See, there was some exclusivity to Jesus Christ. When he said something like this, he is saying, I am. First of all, we talked about the I am statements three weeks ago, that Jesus is saying, I am God. I, Yahweh is right here in front of you, and I am the only way. There's no other option here. There are a lot of people that there are a lot of people in the world that think there are other options, other avenues, right? Other ways to get to God. A lot of people say, "Well, just take your own road. All the roads eventually lead to the same end." And eh, that's wrong. Okay, Jesus is exclusive, and He made that very, very, very clear. So please don't come and say, "Well, yeah, I'm, I'm the Jesus follower, but my friends, it's okay. They're the whatever follower, and, and we'll get to the same place." No, they they won't. Jesus is exclusive. And it's not about which journey you take. It's about which Savior you trust in. And the Savior we, we trust in is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Okay, in Acts chapter 4, it says this, there is salvation in no one else. Does that make it pretty clear for us? If we trust the Bible, if we are Bible-believing Christians, and the Bible says there is salvation nowhere else and in no one else, we ought to perk up. We ought to listen. We ought to not give our friends an excuse that are unbelieving. And what we're really doing is not giving our friends an excuse because they're just lost. The lost are lost, and they'll behave lost. What we're trying to do is give us an excuse to not tell them about Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And if you read this verse in context, it is all about the name of Jesus. There is no other name. There is no other person, place, or thing, avenue, road that I could point my friends to, point the lost world to, that would save them, that would rescue them. It's all about Jesus. And, and I, we kind of have this presupposition going. We need to understand, like going back to the third sermon, the fall, or the second, second sermon, I don't know, the second sermon, the fall, we are all depraved. The Bible says that every one of us has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. That not one person is good. And if we understand that and put ourselves in that situation to, to understand that, that we are really not good, then we understand that we really do need a Savior that is. We really do need a Messiah that can take away the sins of the world, right? That can take away my sin. So let's jump to, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 18 in your Bibles. <clears throat> so there's no other name, right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other name by which we must be saved. Starting in, in 1 Corinthians 1 and starting in verse 18, it says this, For to those who are perishing, the message of the cross is foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is God's power. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the understanding of the experts. Verse 20, where is the philosopher? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of the message preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God's wisdom because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Let's talk about this a little bit. I want to talk about the message of the cross. It says the message of the cross, the first part um, in, in verse 18. It says, for to those who are perishing, the message of the cross is foolishness. This message of the cross is not just what Hoyt preached last week. It's not just that Jesus Christ was a man who, who was crucified on a cross, killed and put in a tomb, and some say he rose again from the dead later on and over 500 people saw him. It wasn't just that. The message of the cross is the message of the gospel of Yahweh. It is from the beginning when God said, let there be, to the end where he says, I am who I am, and, and he's the king of kings and lord of lords. It's, it's everything in between that says, God created us to be in a relationship with him, and we messed it up. And God provided a savior for us that he could redeem and fix and restore the relationship that we messed up. It's the message, that's the message. And when we say that message, it's, it's one of those stories that it says right here, as Paul writes, it's kind of foolishness. It's like, I don't know, this, is, this kind of sounds hokey and weird. It's a crazy story. 
You don't hear of that because all we ever hear about is our own redemption, our own, our own seeking to earn and, and, and struggle and fight the good fight. When there's a story that says you can't fight, you might as well give up, and then the one who is stronger than you took care of it, so don't worry about it. It's like, no, it can't be that easy. It can't be that easy. And we say it can't be that easy because we're looking at us. And was it really easy for Jesus? It wasn't that easy. It was difficult. He was crucified. For you and I, it's easy, though. And that seems foolish to the wisdom of the world who says, I need to earn. I need to gain. I need to, to add on to my life because I can do it. I need to get out of this situation because I need to be stronger. I need to fight. I need to gain energy. I need whatever it is. I, I, I. It's like, I need this. I need this. And what, what Jesus says is, you've got nothing. You, you've got nothing. You can't do it on your own. You might... You might pretend okay, you might have it all together, or look like you have it all together, but down deep you have not dealt with and can never deal with the sin in your heart aside from Jesus Christ because there's no other name, not even yours. There's no other name by which we must be saved. And this became a stumbling block. He says in verse 23, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. It was a stumbling block for the Jews because the Jews had set up, and, and Alistair I think, kind of taught about this, and I think maybe Hoyt, that they, had, they had, had this idea and notion that, that the Messiah would be this reigning king. So they kind of ignored some messianic prophecy. Said, oh, well, it doesn't really, I don't know what that's about. We'll see what, what happens there. And they wanted to just kind of ignore it and set up for themselves a way of life and a way of belief. And we see that all around the world. They, they called themselves believers, but they really weren't when it came down to the, to the Messiah. They ignored the messianic prophecy. So why the, why the cross became foolishness and a stumbling, or sorry, a stumbling block to the Jews is this. They ignored what was right in front of them. See, people choose to put blinders on sometimes. I've talked to several friends and several people that just are acquaintances about Jesus, and it seems like it just goes in one ear and out the other. It goes right over their head because it's foolishness to them. Why? Well, it's a stumbling block. It, it, it's a stumbling block because the gospel message ruins us. It ruins our endeavors. It ruins our pursuits. We can't have it our way anymore if the gospel is true. So what do people do? They, they put blinders on and walk around. And what happens when you walk around blind? You stumble, right? That's why it's a stumbling block. The Jews were stumbling all over. Like, oh, I don't see the Messiah. I don't see the Messiah. Just open your eyes. Just uncover your eyes. He's right there. Uh, my grandma, before she passed away, she continually, consistently supported Jews for Jesus and would get updates all the time. And she loved, she loved to share that update with me. And she, she supported a lot of ministries. But I go over to her house and she'd pull out the Jews for Jesus flyer and just it would tell story upon story about Jewish believers, right? Ju culturally Jewish heritage believers who trusted in the Messiah who would go into the New York City uh, Jewish areas or, or in the big cities in, in America and, and start preaching the truth of the gospel to these Jewish uh, these cultural Jews, and so many are coming to Christ. God is taking the blinders away. And, and I, listen, we need to pray for our friends that the blinders would be removed, that they could see clearly. They wouldn't trust in the wisdom of the world, which is foolishness to God. They would trust in a God who is calling and, and, and coaxing their heart towards him. Pray that those blinders would, would be removed. Now, for you, maybe you're one of those people. Maybe this is a stumbling block for you. Like, no, this stuff ain't true. I, I'm, not, I'm not even sure really why I showed up today. God brought you here today. And if you're here and you're, you're like this, just do this. Jesus wants to give you a message. It's no accident you're here today. It's no accident we're reading this today. It's no accident that this message is here today. 
God is not a God of accidents. God is a God of providence. It just so happens. So it was a stumbling block for the Jews, and it was foolishness to Gentiles. See, the Gentiles, they, they were the philosophical Greeks. They wanted a philosophy to debate. They wanted the newest, the newest fad or the newest thought, and they brought it into their synagogue and they, or their, their place of, their place of uh, debate, and they'd talk about it, and they'd debate it, and they'd reason about it. But this idea, this, that they really didn't want to embrace truth. They didn't really want to settle with truth because once, once you settle on truth, everything else has to go away. There's no more debate. It's Jesus. You're a sinner. You need Jesus. Get Jesus. You're going to heaven. He's your only hope. Period. We're done. So there's no more philosophical debate anymore. There's no more reasoning about the afterlife. There's no more reasoning about achieving some spiritual splendor or some, some oneness with the mountain. I mean, there's none of that. It's gone. So it was foolishness to the Gentiles because they didn't really want the truth. They wanted their fanciful debate. See, he's a stumbling block and, and foolishness to those who are unbelieving, to, to those who are not believing. But for us, he is the Savior and Redeemer. Amen? Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Let's go to Matthew 5. First book of the Gospels, Matthew chapter 5. If you remember, Alistair had, had preached on the Beatitudes, uh, the message of Christ, and we're going to take a look at that again. I, I want us to kind of understand we're charting this course of belief. We're, we're charting this course of salvation. And, and for those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ and have trusted him as Savior, this will like, be clear. Like, oh, yeah, this is what it is. For those of you who have not, I, I wanna, I'm going to present a lot, and then we're going to make it really, really simple. Okay, We're going to make it really, really simple. So in Matthew chapter 5, Alistair was talking, he talked about uh, the Beatitudes, and he talked about the foolishness of this message. So we're talking about this foolishness again, right, the stumbling block or this foolishness. He said that the people that, that were listening, when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, they're like, what? That's crazy talk. That's a crazy message, right? That's what they were thinking. Well, let's look at this crazy talk. Let's look at this foolishness and what it says, because I think, and Alistair hit this nail on the head as well. It says in verse 3, we'll start there, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. It said, blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, I want to be the poor in spirit then if, my, if theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it went on. It said, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle or the meek because they will inherit the earth. And verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. You know, all, all of humanity across the globe is a do-oriented humanity. It's, it's a, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to achieve this, I'm going to achieve that. It, it, we, we are set up and hardwired to work hard for what we have. Now, some people don't do that. But when it comes to world religions, or, or individual religions, or religious beliefs, it's the same thing. People try to establish a system of beliefs that they will follow in order to achieve some divine gift. Every world religion can be spelled D-O, right? Do. Except for Christianity. It's spelled D-O-N-E. Done. It's done. And that's the beauty of this message, but that's also the foolishness of this message. And, and part of the beauty of the message is this, and, and here's, here's the hard part about the message too. Because it's been done, what Jesus is asking is, is from the heart. He's asking us 
for belief that comes from here. He's not asking us to check off the list, to look a certain way. To, I mean, there's some things we want to obey Christ in once we respond to him. But, but when we talk about believing in Jesus Christ, it is not an outward appearance or a list of standards that we decided to follow. And one day we could come home to mommy and say, look, mom, I got a gold star from Jesus. We'll put that on the fridge. That's not what we want. Maybe we want it, but that's not what Jesus requires. He looks at our heart. See, the poor in spirit, those are the people who said, look at my sin. I am spiritually bankrupt. I I am empty. I've got nothing. I am not good at all. And, And I hope that each one of us could really introspectively look at ourselves and say, yeah, that's me. I'm really not good. I mean, I, I might be a nice person, and I might have good relationships, and, and look out for the interests of other people quite a bit. But when it comes down to it, I'm selfish. I've got sin that's hidden. I've got things that are in my, in my past and my present that I don't want anyone knowing about. Right? We are not good. Humanity is not good. How, you guys see the movie Ben-Hur? Some of you guys saw that movie out. There's one quote in there from Jesus that he basically said that, that humanity is basically good and loving, right? It's basically humanity is loving and good. The movie was great aside from that little thing. That humanity is not loving and good. Humanity is wicked and depraved is what Scripture says. Now, the redeemed, the changed by God can be loving and good because God is loving and good. We can, we can have a new nature if we're in Christ, but humanity in general, is not that way. Humanity is wicked and evil, and that's why they need a Savior. And the only Savior that is really good. Jesus said in the Scripture himself, don't call me good, or, or you're right to call me good, because no one is good except for God. Right? So he, he told the, the, the young man that asked him, he said, good teacher, he says, well, why do you call me good? You're, you're right, but no one is good except for God. Right? No one is good except for God. So being poor in spirit means I, I've dealt with this. I see that I have sin in my life. It has wrecked me. It has ruined me. And then I mourn over that. In verse, verse 4 of Matthew 5, blessed are those who mourn, right? I weep over my sin, and, and I, I find myself empty. And that's the next verse in verse 5. Blessed are the meek or the humble or the gentle. It's those, the meekness is really the greatest translation for this. It's that those who have emptied themselves out and said, I, I can't stand before God with anything to show and, or anything to offer or anything to say, God, you can let me in because of this. When I stand before God, I am completely empty from the heart. And here's what my heart is doing. Look at verse 6. Blessed are those who what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Hunger and thirst not for my own righteousness. I hunger and thirst for, for a righteousness that can only come through Jesus Christ. But this starts at the heart. It's not a way of life. It's a spiritual position. It's a condition of the soul. I want to show you this Isaiah verse in 29, 13. It says, the Lord says this, These people come near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips. Doesn't that sound great? That sounds great. If you really look at that, like, well, good job. A lot of people are doing this today even. There's churches meeting all over this, this community. A lot of people are coming near to the Lord with their mouths and honoring, them, honoring him with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up of rules, only rules taught by men. That, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, it's not about coming before me in the right dress and the right mouth and, and saying the right things. It's about your heart. It's about the heart. That's what Jesus wants. And th- there's so many illustrations of that in Scripture. I, I just go and dig through and dig through. There's so much of that. When Jesus is, is, is talking to people about their spiritual condition, he always goes to the heart. The heart is what Jesus wants. 
It's from the heart. And I want you to write that down in your notes, if you're ta- your note taker. It, it's from the heart. From the heart. The saved are saved from the heart. Not from any actions or works. It's from the heart. God's salvation is for whoever believes from the heart. So let's continue down charting this belief, okay? We're going to flip over to Romans with me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. All right, so go to uh, Romans chapter 10. We're going to read verse 8b, the second part of verse 8, through 13 together. So I want you to keep tracking about this belief, this this from the heart belief in Jesus Christ. Second part of, of verse 8, it starts with the message. The message is near you in your mouth and on your heart. And it goes on, this is the message of faith we proclaim. So here's the message of faith that we proclaim. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart one believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses, resulting in salvation. Now the scripture says, no one who believes on him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, because the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I want this, this idea, this confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. The believing with your heart, it's, oh yeah, we get that, it's easy. We like to add in some things sometimes, like this confession with the mouth. Some, some churches, some Christian ministries say, well, hey, here, here's a card. If you, if you say this prayer on the back, you're saved. Right? It's not about coming to the Lord with your lips. It's not about a magic spell, secret chant. It's about calling on the Lord, believing on the Lord Jesus from your heart. Now, many of us, myself included, knew that day, that, ni- that night, when I prayed my sinner's prayer to the Lord Jesus, and I called on the name of the Lord to save me, and I was saved. I know it. Did I say a sinner's prayer? Yeah, I said the sinner's prayer, because I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, so I prayed it out to Jesus. That's the sinner's prayer. And the sinner's prayer is, is from the heart. It, it can never be, let's close your eyes and pray this prayer and you're saved. It's, it's close your eyes, quiet your heart, humble yourself, and call on the name of the Lord Jesus, and that's your sinner's prayer. That's the faith we're talking about. It's a trust in Jesus Christ to be saved. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray the sinner's prayer. I'm saying you should from the heart, right? You call on the name of the Lord from your heart, and you will be saved. And this confessing with your mouth in verse 9, it, what, what, the, what the scripture is, is talking about, what it means is this. It, the confession is an, an agreement. You're speaking an agreement. And who you're, who you're speaking the agreement to is the one you're making an agreement with. So you're speaking an agreement to the Father saying, you are God. I, I am not. I am a sinner. You are the Savior. And you're saying, only you can save. Save me. And guess what? He does. He does. He's a good God because we say it from our heart. We speak it from our heart. We believe it from our heart. We believe everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Go, uh, go backwards in the text to John, chapter John, or chapter John. Chapter John, book number three. I don't know. John three. John three. John three, 16, let's say. Let's go John three, 16 through 18. John chapter 3, 
16 through 18. For God loved the world in this way. He gave, right? He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Who has eternal life? Everyone who believes in him. And this belief, it, it adds to what we, what we looked at Romans, that we confess and believe from the heart. It's, it's a true and earnest belief from the heart that Jesus is who he is. It's, a, it's an agreement and, a, and an acknowledgement that I'm agreeing with God on my position and my state as a human being that's sinful, that I can only trust in him. It's only in him. In verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Anyone, anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. There's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are not in Christ Jesus, there's already condemnation. If you don't want to be under that, call on the name of the Lord. Lay yourself down and say, I, I, I need to believe in faith. See, this, this time is, it's a decision of faith that has to be made. God is calling everyone. And he says, I'll save everyone who believes. So anyone and whosoever believes in the name of the Lord will be saved. Believe, trust, embrace. Lay yourself down and say, God, I'm crying out to you. You're my Savior. You're a good God. Save me. See, we understand our depravity and our heart, and we wept over that condition, and we've trusted and turned in Jesus to be filled with him. And then... Ephesians. I flip over to Ephesians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, first and second, Galatians, Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 17. Two seventeen says this, and, and through 20. When Christ came... He proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, through me? No, through him, right? We both have access by one spirit to the Father. So then, so then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets which, uh, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Amen? See, that now that we have believed, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when we let him be the God who saves and God who rescues, now we are part of God's family, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ as the cornerstone. We're no longer foreigners or strangers. We're citizens and saints. So the first part, the first point of the sermon, the church is the saved. The church is, are the people that are the saved. It's, it's not just anyone who walks in. It's those who walk in because they've been changed and, and renewed from Jesus Christ. They put their faith and hope in Jesus. They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are saved. The second two points are the quickest ones here. Number two is the church are the devoted. I want you to flip over to the book of Acts. So It's, it's backwards, a couple books. And we're going to go to Acts chapter 4. I'm sorry, Acts Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and 42. Acts 2, 41 and 42. 
So the church are the devoted. This is the next point, point number two. In verse 41, it says, those who accepted his message, okay, we just talked about this, right? The church is the saved. They're the ones that have from the heart accepted the message, called out on the name of the Lord, and they were saved. So those who, in verse 41, those who accepted his message were then what? It says we're baptized. We did that two weeks ago at the lake. Was it two weeks? I don't know when it was. A couple weeks ago. What a great, great day. We had 11 people that came forward to say, I, I want to profess Christ. I want to make sure publicly everyone knows I'm getting dunked. I'm going to get baptized. Right? And, and it was a great service. And, and for, for you who are the church, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, and if you've accepted the message, get baptized. Follow Christ in obedience. That's what, that's what the church does. The church are a, a bunch of people who have trusted Christ, and then they were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. Verse, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. See, the, the church are the devoted. And if we as a church could focus in on this as our life scripture, I think it's really important. Uh, John 13, 34, and 35 is huge. Write a new commandment I give to you. Love each other as I have loved you. Then the, and the world will know you're my disciples if you love one another. So we have to love one another. We're united in love for one another that the world may know we are, we are the disciples. But here's what we're devoted to. We're devoted to the apostles' teaching. We are devoted to this. I, I, when, was it last week? No, a week before when Alistair preached. I sat in the very back row. And I loved, I loved what I saw. I saw this. Let's turn to such and such. And I, hear, I heard a bunch of this. A bunch of rattling going on. And then when, when he read, I heard, uh, this is what you see in the, from behind. This is what it looks like. Let's read, read with me. Everyone's head just goes right down to their Bible. I just, I love that. We're devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We're devoting ourselves to the message of the cross from the pulpit. We're devoting ourselves to being in Bible study and to, and to coming under the authority of teachers and, and learning. And learning and growing. We want to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the living word of God. Devote yourself to it. We devote ourselves to the fellowship. Every, every Sunday we meet here, and after, after service is over, talk, hang out, be together. Next week we're going to the park, right? If you miss that during the announcements, next week we're in the park. Labor Day weekend. One service, 1030. We're going to worship together as, as one, one large family. We're going to have a barbecue together, a potluck together. It's going to be a great time because we, we, we who are the church should devote ourselves to fellowship. Being together, being with like-minded people. To the breaking of bread. We should break bread together and we should eat together, right? It's not only just eating together in homes together. It's also this. It's also when we do, we do it in unity, remembering the body and the blood that was given for us. Remembering that Christ gave it all. When we break bread together, it's united around Christ's sacrifice. That's what we devote ourselves to. And we devote ourselves to prayer. That we are steadfast in prayer. The pastoral search committee gave you a, a card, right? There's a little card in your bulletin, a prayer request. Pray. Pray for our church. Pray for your search committee. Pray that God would just give them wisdom and discernment and, and direction. And give them patience and give us patience. Pray. Pray for your church. Pray for one another. We have a prayer chain. If you ever want to be part of the prayer chain, fill out that welcome card and say, I want to be part of the prayer chain. You can do it by email or by phone call. Pray for your church. The church is the devoted. In Romans 12, I want to look at this uh, verse on the screen, Romans 12, 4 and 5. Now we have many parts in one body. So we're devoted to one another and we're all different. And all the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually we are members of one another. Other translations that we belong to one another. 
you, you need to be using your gifts, using your talents for the benefit of others in the church. Yesterday we had our men's breakfast and talked about these seasons in life. These seasons that we go through, whether you're, you're really young, like in spring, it's, you're sprouting, or, or you move into that, that summer, summertime where you're growing and learning and, and trying to find your career, and you go into the fall where you're like, okay, I've got my career. I'm being an influencer now, a mover and shaker. And then there's that wintertime, right, where you retire. There's that wintertime where you're, where you're like, I don't know what to do now. Listen, the wintertime the winter is a time where you are a champion. You're, you're the Hall of Famers that need to come in and, and coach us. There, there's always a place for every one of us. And if you're in the spring season of your life and you're just sprouting, man, you find somebody that's, gone, that's in the season ahead of you to direct and guide you. Get, get as much wisdom as you can to make that transition into that next season in life. We are, all, we are all part of the same body. We are all here and belong to one another. Use your gifts. You, the call of God on your life, on my life, never, ever ends. God's call never ends. Amen? There's never a time it says, okay, God's done with me. I'm going to retire. I'm going to retire. I'm done. You can retire from your career, but you can never retire from the ministry God has given you. Things may change a little bit, but God's call remains the same. The church is the devoted. We devote to one another. And finally, the church are the missional. Flip over to Matthew. I think we're there. I don't know. Matthew 28. The church are the missional. Missional, interestingly enough, when you type it into to Word, a word processing unit, it comes up with those little squiggly lines underneath it, right? It's like, oh, this is spelled wrong. This is the wrong word. I added it to my dictionary because I think it's important. Missional is a new word for the church to understand and to, and to embrace. It's not, it's not a new idea. It's just a new word. Missional means that I have a mission and I'm putting it to practice. I'm missional or I'm on mission. Our church should be missionally minded, Right? We, we, give, we give thousands and thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars to missions all around the world, mission causes, because we want to see the advancement of the kingdom of God. You might have seen on the slide before, uh, before church started or in the lobby, we have a Operation Christmas Child coming up. Right? right now is the best time to buy those school supplies because they're all on sale. Right? School supplies, to- start shopping for that. Let's, let's be missional. They're going to get the gospel of Jesus. Every kid will get the gospel of Jesus Christ into their hands, read to them, explained to them because of every shoebox we send out. Let's send shoeboxes. Let's send Jesus to the world. Amen? That, it's missional. We're going to be missional. Matthew chapter 28, here's what Jesus says, starting in verse 16. Or what the text says, and then Jesus says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus uh, directed them. When they saw, them, saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Do a study on that. That's kind of interesting. Some doubted. Really, he was crucified. He rose from the dead. He's directed you to that mountain, and you're still doubting, huh? Some doubted. Verse 18, then Jesus came near and said to them, in essence, if you still doubt, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, Jesus gave his authoritative Pre, preeminent, superior marching orders to the church. He said, I, I am the authority. Or every creed, color, race, religion, every, I am the supreme leader. The buck stops with me. And what I want you to do is go. Go out and share the message of the cross. Yeah, it's foolishness. Yeah, it's going to sound crazy. 
but go out and make disciples of all nations and baptize them and teach them from the word of God. Help them be devoted followers and obedient followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what the church is. It's our job to be intentional in every relationship. God God is not asking you to to join a club. God is not asking you to to get it signed up for a mission trip. God is telling you that you are the church, and when you walk through those doors to leave, that is going into all the world. And as you go, make disciples of all nations. Amen? We're going to pray, and then we're going to stay seated for the the Lord's Supper. So let's pray together. Father, you are a great God, and I thank you so much for the church. I thank you that you have given us each other to to build each other up, to encourage, to strengthen each other. I pray that we would be united in that cause. Give us a heart for you everywhere we go. I thank you for salvation, God. As as extreme and as as, uh, large of a chart we had today, we understand that it's so simple that we call on the name of the Lord from a heart motive, from an empty heart, we will be saved. We will be filled with your righteousness and forgiven. I thank you for that. God, I pray for those hearts today that that need to open up to you, the the hearts that have been hardened, the hearts that have been blinded, the hearts that have have experienced roadblocks and stumbling blocks. God, I pray that you would open their hearts to see Jesus clearly, that they would embrace you with all their heart. They would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart. They would receive the filling of his righteousness by faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.